0: Tonight, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to be reading the first 15 verses. Genesis 18, verse 1 to 15, amen. And the Word of God says this, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from his tent or from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass, uh, pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran out to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, who prepared it quickly, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that they had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, and the Lord said to And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, "Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is nothing too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son." But Sarah denied it, and I did not. Uh, Sarah denied it, saying, "I did not laugh, for she was afraid." He said, "No, but you did laugh." And amen. All right. Um. So as it's been clear we we've finished with the family series and what we've what we're doing is actually going back to the abraham series that we started off a while back um i think it was october august i can't really remember when it was where we kind of took a break from abraham which was really really odd because we come back to to it now to kind of continue on with Abraham, but at the same time, just acknowledging the sovereignty of God in that, like if you recall, like we were going through that marriage um, and dating seminar, and just literally the, that same week, we start this family series, and we're coming back to Abraham, which is really cool that we continue on with Genesis, and, and so if... Um, if by any chance you 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 know you've kind of lost track in terms of what's been happening in the life of Abraham, you could obviously read um, what's happened before, and we also have uh, on the on the podcast if you just want to catch up. But essentially, what's been going on is, obviously is that they're still struggling with with this uh, um, Sarah not being able to conceive, not being able to have a child, and so they're going through these uh, this period, this stage in in their life where. They've received the promise of God, but they have not yet, obviously, received that promise. Um, and so we're, we're going to be looking at this conflict, in particular, in the in the life of Sarah, uh, where she kind of doubts and, and laughs to herself at the, even me mention of this so-called promise. And so two really uh, main points that I really kind of want to focus on a tonight's um, in tonight's um, message is Abraham's hospitality. Um, I think that's something that we kind of oversee We kind of bypass that um, in terms of just like even in in our reading of scripture and even in the way it's preached. um, It's something that we kind of need to place a little bit more focus on. Um, And the second will be Sarah's laugh. And so those are the two main points that I want to look at. So let's get straight to it. Let's read verses 1 to 8 again. Remind ourselves of what's going on here. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. He sat at the door of the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When when he saw them, he when he saw them, sorry, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring morsel bread uh, that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sears of fine flour kneaded and and make cakes. And Abraham ran to, to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and a calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, this passage begins really interesting in a very interesting way in which it says that the Lord appeared to him in in this uh, in those first verses there, where it says that the Lord appeared to him. What's fascinating about this is that we find, obviously, in our translation, I'm sure by now we are familiar with the fact that when you see that it says the Lord in all capitals, that that is... Uh, what, is, what is behind that translation is the actual name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who appears there um, before them. And so it says that Yahweh uh, is the one that appeared to him in the form of this human, human being, in the form of a human being. Now, something that requires a little clarification is this. We, we need to be reminded that when the name Yahweh is presented, um, that this is in reference to God you are saying that's obvious. That's the, the right. This is God. But I, I, it's important that we we are clear in terms of what we mean by by who we're referring to God, because I, I feel that sometimes when we read um, the the Old Testament in particular, and we do come across the old um, you know scripture when it refers to the name Yahweh there, when that is rendered the Lord, um, there's this almost. tradition, almost like this mental um, uh, lack of words, kind of like just a, a standard where we look at that, we assume that it's referring to God the Father. Um, that when we look at the Old Testament stories, we always think upon the uh, that that it's God the Father that really is the one that's working here in the Old Testament, and we generally view things um, in that way that God the Father is the one that's being referred to in, in terms of when it says Yahweh, as though that Yahweh is is the only name that is given to the Father, but that's not what we believe. We don't have um, time to go in, into a lot of detail, but I want to make Mention of that because I think it's important that we kind of be aware that sometimes we read the Old Testament and think upon just that that God the Father is the one that's being presented to us in these stories and it's not. Yahweh, the name Yahweh consists it's the name of God, but that consists of three people, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we kind of come to that realization that when you uh, read the Old Testament, that you see Yahweh and that you understand that, uh, that it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that, that, that carry that name. It is the name of God. And our God is, is, is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons is one. It's not three different gods. It's one God that bear the nature of God. And so important that we see that that uh, sometimes we, we we claim to be you know, we believe in the Trinity, but when we read the Old Testament, we we our mind kind of goes into this modalism where it's like, all right, God presents himself in the Old Testament as the father and he's almost angry and he's always very violent and aggressive. And then you come to the New Testament and it's like, all right, this is Jesus. Jesus is the one that we see now in the New Testament. And then you go to the epistles, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's functioning. But that's not the reality. That's That's not the way we understand Who God is. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even all the way back. To, um, to Genesis in creation all the way through. It's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we see Yahweh, we need to understand that we, we are, we are referring to, or the scriptures are referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this was made manifest to us or revealed to us through the arrival of Jesus. So with Jesus, we, we have this, uh, this revelation or deeper revelation as to who God is. And so important that we we kind of grasp that in in our thinking when we read that because what happens is the Old Testament really becomes a lot more alive to us and and it, it separates us. Um, from having that mentality of, of putting, you know, God the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New, and then the Holy Spirit in the Epistles, it, it's not like that. You know, we are Trinitarians, and it's important that we we distinguish ourselves in that way. Uh, that that's what separates us from a lot of cults and a lot of weird teaching out there that that we come across. So we are monotheistic. Yes, we believe in one God, but we are Trinitarians. We are not Unitarians, meaning that we believe that Yahweh is the 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 Father, the the Yahweh, and the He alone is 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 God. No, we 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 are Trinitarians. We believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I say that because when we come to this portion, it's speaking upon two reasons. Obviously, obviously, Scripture makes mention of this embodied um, form of of Yahweh being presented to Abraham, which we would say uh, it, it, it's Christ here that that there is this pre incarnate um, figure of, of Jesus presenting Himself to. Um, to Abraham, purely on the, on the basis that Jesus is the one that eventually takes, uh, you know, uh, uh, in bodily form. Um, but so the point is that, and, and plus also, it's kind of like a little nudge as well as a kind of setup as to what we're going to be reading very shortly in terms of the next book in book club. Uh, it's it's based upon the Trinity, so I want to get that right first, and it, I'm really excited for that. But what we do see here is that. Yahweh appears to him, and, and we can see here that he comes and he shares this meal with with uh, with Abraham. Um, and it's such a wonderful thing because what what we see here is there's this intimate moment between Yahweh and Abraham that they share, uh, or there's this the communion here that is shared between um, Abraham and 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 the Lord. Um, in terms of like comparing it to what they just recently, not that recent, it was. A few years apart, but when Abraham had a similar encounter with the Lord, through if you remember that suzerain vassal agreement, where you know the, the animals were slaughtered in half, and there was that that walking through, that was kind of like that. That was a very, um, a very different covenant uh, agreement there. That you see here, this is a covenantal covenantal meal that, that he shared, and it just it's much more, um, much more welcoming. Uh, much more loving. It, it, it represents um, a friendship here between Abraham and, and God, that there is this shared, um, Communion here between the Lord and, and and Abraham, and in fact, that's what kind of James picks up on in his epistle that he considered Abraham to be his friend. You know, that's something amazing to even be considered to be the Lord, the glory of God, just just being a friend of of. Of the Lord it's amazing so it only makes sense in the way that he shows his hospitality Abraham to the Lord you see that there is a reason as to why Abraham is considered the father of faith it's it's not just demonstrated solely on that wonderful act when he would graciously and obediently he was gonna go offer our Isaac. Up on that mountain, but even in the smaller things, you see that demonstration of obedience and that demonstration of faith that it's not just in that grand expression. It's not like you profess your faith in one grand gesture and then all right, that's solidified for you. It's this ongoing, this ongoing expression of faith, this expression of love, you know, where He continually just outpours this faith, this, this love that He has for the Lord. You know, consider the text. That we get to read here at hand tonight. The scriptures inform us that it was during the heat of the day. Now, we, we complain generally um, when it's really hot. Like when we start peaking at about the 38 and 40, it gets really hot. Well, where these guys are at, it's practically a desert. All right so what would happen in that time was that these guys would take a siesta they would relax they would stop working at the heat of the day which was the peak where the sun was blaring at its at its most um, ferocious time was to to was during this time. And so what they would do was they would just relax and and you see that Abraham is doing exactly that. He's sitting in his chair, he's relaxing by his tree, he's having a good time, he's, he's just unwinding. No one does any work until the sun kind of settles down a bit and they get back to whatever it is that, that, um, that they need to do. And so it's at this time that we see that the Lord arrives with these two angels, um, which would have been like the most inconvenient time to say the least, you know, where despite the fact that that um, the, the fact that this was an inconvenient time we still see that Abraham's heart was still so willing and so full of faith and so full of love that he sees these men in this dry heat um, and he runs to them and, and he wants to tend to them he wants to make sure that that these guys are are well taken care of you know uh, something that we we kind of I don't know if we would be in that same way where if we're placed in an inconvenient state, we, we generally don't really respond too well. Like, I don't know, if we're resting, I can't imagine us getting up from our slumber and just being like, someone's at the door, I better go get them and make sure everything, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's it's pretty... <laughs> I don't know, but you see, you see, Abraham's his his love and his graciousness towards the Lord. He sees these men. He has compassion. He doesn't go up to him. He's like, oh man, like, what do you guys want, man? Like, seriously, it's so hard. What is? Why is bothered? You know what I mean? He he runs up to him and he, he he just loves on them. He bows down before them. Imagine doing that when someone knocks at your door. Someone knocks at your door, You just bow down to them. You are just like, come in. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're here. Just. I don't know. It just doesn't happen these days. But, but Ab- not Abraham. Abraham was like, no, no, I see these people. They're, they're in need. And there's this, this prompting in his heart that he just, I don't know. There's something about these three men. It's, it's odd. They're strangers, clearly. And so he runs to them. And the water God says that he organizes to get water for them. So he sees that they're in need. He sees that, man, this is like the hottest time in the day. And you guys are out here doing whatever it is that you're doing. Let me get you guys sorted. I'm going to get you get some water for your feet because keep in mind that this is the desert. So they would have walked through. The feet would have been dirty. This was a custom, you know, where you wash your feet um, and make sure that you, you, you tidy yourself up. And so he, he, he organizes refreshments. And, and so not only does Abraham see their need and, and acts upon it and shows hospitality or he's hospitable towards them, um, you know, he's so gracious when he greets them, but even gets his, his family involved in this. This is really wonderful to see where he gets his family involved. He, he tells his wife that we have visitors, go and make bread. It's like, all right, you, you let's start. We let's get busy. He tells his servant, "Get the most tender calf that we have. Let's prepare this. We have guests. Let's make a, let's make a wonderful, wonderful meal for them." And this isn't something where it's just really basic. Where you're like, "Let's just get some tea and biscuits," out. This is a lavish meal. This is like a mixed plate. You know, like when you go to like your your favorite. Lebanese restaurant, it's similar to that, right? Where they they bring out, literally the the equivalent of three seers is 19 kilos of flour. Who's going to be eating that much bread? It's just three people. But you can just see the way he so lavishly pours out uh, his love upon them. Keep in mind that Abraham doesn't even eat with them. Yeah, the scriptures tell us that he stands aside and he watches them eat. He, he just watches these guys eat. He brings food and food and food. Um, and he doesn't eat with them. He doesn't participate in it. He stands there making sure that if they want anything, that he's there. You know, what? there's that presence. So like if they want more water and you kind of begin to see this in hospitality, you know, where you go to good five-star restaurants where they're always on top of you. How's everything? Was it it good? Even though you just want to enjoy your conversation with whoever it is that you're with. But, you know, or you drink your water and they see that you finished your water and they come and top it up and you're like in the middle of a really good conversation and you feel like you need to stop saying what you're saying. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and then you continue. Um, but it, it's it's that. But you see that where that that type of hospitality derives from this Christian worldview Uh, and we see just how Abraham exercises his his hospitality the way he lavishly uh, pours out his love upon that it reflects the heart of a faithful servant of the Lord when you are uh, hospitable towards one another you know we, we when you go beyond and above and beyond what you should that's what hospitality is and hospitality really is something that sadly has been a little bit neglected in the church in terms of like importance in preaching and, and emphasizing this. I think it's something that we, it, could be, it could be spoken of a little bit more. However, we find that Paul mentions this twice in two separate epistles uh, in terms of being a quality that ought to be found in, in, in church elders. I'm just like as I'm preparing this. I'm just like man, <laughs> this is so, whoa! Like God's sovereign. And just just literally a week in, and you're like, you gotta be more hospitable, man. Uh, so so you know, like this is what is. Ought to be found in, in church elders, but just in case you think this is just the elder thing, thank God for Peter. I love Peter because Peter generalizes this and says this should be applied to the whole church at large. He says this is something that ought to be found in the church that we ought to be hospitable. And he says that we, when we do that, we shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't serve others grumbling and complaining about it, which is sometimes what we do, where we're like we want to do something nice and then. <laughs> They, they, they ask for more than what we've given. And we usually say, oh man, these guys are now taking advantage of me. And we get upset. It's like, no, that's not how we should be. We should be just gracious in that. Um, we should just be pouring out. Our love to them. Um, and that's really what the church is about. Hos- hospitality is something that is synonymous with the church. And Josh actually mentioned to me something that was really interesting the other week about the history of the Bible in, in the top drawer of most, um, if not all, most, yeah, I believe, um, of... um hot- uh, what is it called um, hotels and, and motels it's really interesting it's worth a google by the way it's, it's really interesting but the point is that hospitality is a christian thing the first century church was marked by the hospitality the way that these guys showed their love like whenever paul went on a mission he relied on the hospita- uh, hospitality of the church they didn't expect um you know hey we're gonna paul's coming let's send him to the five star quality you know let's send him to the star like, yeah, we, we gotta we gotta do it like they were the ones that were like no no the apostle paul is coming we need to prepare a meal for him we're going to make sure that he's comfortable it wasn't given to someone else's responsibility you know it's their job no it became their job like we're going to take care of him. their generosity was poured over the over the the apostle and and so the church considered it a great honor to express their love for god first and foremost and secondly for the brother in 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 and through their hospitality, you know, they would spend themselves for these men. Inconvenience was always overshadowed by the love of God that dwelt within them, that there was no longer an inconvenience. You know, it's it's that that is essentially the heart of a Christian. Where yeah, it's an inconvenient time, but your love for God and your love for your brother overshadows that inconvenience. That you no longer see an inconvenience. Where you no longer were like, yeah, it's the it's in the heat of the day, or I'm broke as right now, or whatever it is that it's just not a good time. Yeah, I have kids running around going crazy. It doesn't matter. It's, that's, the, that's the opportune time where you express that love for your brother. He, and even Jesus speaks about this in, in Matthew 25 when he talks about separating the sheep from the goats. What would be the deciding factor that, that, that he separates the sheep from the goats? Was it the theology? The doctrine? Interesting enough, what distinguishes them, it, it was the, the real sheep from the goats was, he said that when I was hungry you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. This is the deciding factor because at the end of the day, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying theology and doctrine is is not important. It's, it's if you have the right theology and the right doctrine, that is going to show in your practicality. You are going to see that in your life. And so we see that Jesus emphasizes this, do, do do you think that Jesus might have had Abraham in mind here when he says those words? I I think he did. You know, I think that Abraham was in his mind when he says, when I was hungry, you know, you fed me. Yeah, Abraham runs out. and And it doesn't matter if it was at an inconvenient time. A true Christian will always show that love. He will always go that extra mile. And this is really was made evident, like I said, in the story of Abraham. Because even before he realized that this was the Lord who was approaching, his natural response was, I see a need, I need to go and do something about it. And when he realized who it was, he couldn't help it, obviously. So like before he knew who it was, he sees three stranger, strangers before him. He gets up and he runs and, and there's something about them, he bows down. And then um, when he kind of realizes that it's the Lord, he's... He immediately goes at the back, we need to start preparing a meal and he just loves them, you know. He, 19 kilos of flour, I feel sorry for Sarah. <laughs> like, like, that's a lot that you gotta, you got 30 minutes, hurry up, hurry up, it's a lot. Like, you know, like if you've seen like uh, really crazy chefs, I feel like that's when uh, <laughs> good old Abraham went a little bit nuts, just like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, throwing pans around. Um, but yeah, he just, he just, he loved jesus and he he loved the lord and he wanted to show that and um may we just put that in practice like may we just think upon that maybe a little bit more in our lives maybe when we wake up just one of the ways that we can do that is just just think upon how, uh, how can i help another brother out today look for those opportunities in particular the, the brother, the sister, you know, like how am I going to show love to my brother? You know, I mean, we know how to love the, the, the neighbor, who, the stranger who doesn't know Christ. You love him by speaking to them um, the truth. But yeah, they're just a brother. Just how am I going to love my brother a bit more? It's something that maybe we don't think upon all that much, but it will be something that would be good for us to kind of consider. But let's read verse 9 to 15. Um And the word of God says this, and they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, "She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing years. The way of the women, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out. And my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. But she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. I'll leave it there. All right, so we're dealing again with this struggle, um, still being unable to conceive, still struggling to have a baby, um, despite the promise that had been made to Abraham previously. It's clearly still a very sensitive topic, in particular for Sarah. It's a, uh, and you see that in the way that she responds. You know the words that she gives when she overhears what the Lord says and the promise of a child, which. At one stage at the beginning when you when you hear the good news you're gonna have a, a child, you're gonna have a, a baby. When she first heard that, that brought great joy to her. But now it seems as though that same promise, the the those same words would become the words of her torture. It, it was the salt in her wound. It was the insult to injury. And so her defense mechanism kind of kicks in and, and she kind of laughs this off, this promise, the situation, just like, are you serious? Like you, you're giving me this again? It's been years and I'm still haven't had a baby and I'm so old. And so she's at that place where she's struggling with this promise. But let's back up a little bit to what might what we might call what might I call a confirmation of of who it is that this mysterious person is I'm sure we all know who it is I mean we just mentioned who it is but the word of God tells us that that these men whom we might assume was was Christ who was leading the conversation you know it was these these three men but I think it was Jesus leading this conversation turns to Abraham and asks him where is Sarah your wife Where is Sarah, your wife? I'm not sure if you guys are picking up on that massive, massive implication here. And it's quite possibly the reason might be because Abraham just kind of gives an immediate response. But there's something here very, very, very important. Uh, If we take that back into its context, you might be able to see the importance of what is being said here when he says, Where is Sarah? Your wife. Let me ask you a question. Who was present when the name Sarai was changed from Sarai to Sarah? In the previous chapter. It was just Abraham and the Lord. It was just them two. And that name change from Sarah or from Sarai to Sarah. This wasn't a common knowledge. This wasn't something that undoubtedly they would have shared it with their closest friends and family. But it wasn't like, all right, like like the Lord goes through their mail and sees that they legally changed the name from Sarai to Sarah. You know, the mailbox had Mr. Abraham, formerly known Abraham and Sarah, formerly known as Sarai. It's, it's, it's pretty evident that upon that name, that when he refers to that name, that this was a massive moment for, for Abraham that we, we can't just pass by. You know, the Lord, he reveals himself to be the omniscient God who knows even the intimate, secret conversations that Abraham had with God. And so he reveals himself to Abraham in that simplistic one word, just where is Sarah, your wife, in that name. If there was any doubt in the mind of Abraham as to whom he was talking to, those doubts would have left his heart just by the mention of his wife's name and why make such a big deal of this it's important because of what comes after because of what he's about to say he says to him in response where is your wife and Jesus mentions to him something that is important for him something that he needs to place his faith on that's why he he reveals himself as the omniscient God saying where is Sarah this is something that only God could know and so What he's doing is essentially giving Abraham faith in who he was. He's exercising faith in him, giving him that faith that this is not just some guy, some random guy. This isn't just an angel. This is something far more beyond than just some guy here coming in on the heat of the day, wanting to have some grub. No, this is someone very special. This is God. And since this is God... What he's about to say, he needs to place his faith in. But he can't place his faith in until he reveals himself to him. It's so important that you see that. Because no one should ever take someone at their word unless there is that verification of who it is that's saying it. If it's the word of God, it will happen. And since we're talking about a time where the word of God wasn't formalized, it wasn't um, completed there was this direct hearing from God audibly, right? Or face to face in the way that Abraham is encountering it right now, you know? But I, I want to say that this isn't a copy and paste type of thing where, all right, God spoke to him face to face in this way. So that means, therefore, I don't know how we always make that conclusion. Therefore, this means that God can appear to me as well in human form and speak to me, or God can audibly speak to me like a voice that the heavens will open and I'm going to hear his voice speak to me that's that's not how it is all right it, it's not how it is it, it it's it was the way that it was done then before the scriptures were compiled but now we have the word of god and you all you have to do is just open the scriptures and God will speak. But back to the point. Jesus, if, if we can, if you let me use that name. Jesus, he says to him in verse 10, that he will return to him about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So this is the promise that he gives him. And it's on this promise that Abraham has to place his faith on. like Not on the promise, rather, but on the person who's making this promise. There's this promise. I promise that you're going to have a child. Why should I trust you? Well, because I just revealed to you that I know the deepest secrets, the, the intimate secrets that you've had with, with, with me. I know this. I'm the omniscient God. You can trust me. And so he places his faith in, in who he is and, and not just the promise. And so he can trust that what he's saying will come true. And just how wonderful is the Lord to be so gracious to his friend at this moment. Like he, he pours out his love, Abraham, to him and he spreads out this mad spread and he eats and he just loves him and, and the Lord just loves him back. You know, he, he shows himself, he reveals himself that he is the one with whom he was talking to uh, all that way back when, when he changes his name. It was him that changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And then to have him, you know, call his wife out, it was just, it's just a wonderful thing for him. But, but notice with me that it is him that gives him this faith. It is him that does that. And he does that through his revealed nature when he reveals himself to us. And that's the way he does it with us. When he wants to increase your faith, he reveals himself to you. It's not really something where, where it's like, all right, I need to exercise faith. I don't know even how you do that when someone says like, hey, you just exercise faith. Okay, cool. What are the three steps or 10 steps that I have to do? It's, it's really, God has to just reveal himself to you. And when he reveals himself, you place your faith in him. But here comes that promise in which he, he can safely trust and find confidence in. Not in himself, but in the God who has revealed himself. Uh, and that's that promise that he gives him, that he will have a child, and that by this time next year, that promise is going to be fulfilled. And it's not even a vague promise anymore at this stage. It's not a distant promise. It's very specific. It's, it's given with a, a time frame. It will happen this time next year. This time next year, you will I, he says, "I will return to you." Now I want to stop there for a moment and think upon the, the obvious questions. In what manner does God show up this time next year to him? In so far we have seen God speak to him audibly. We've seen him uh, tell tell him, uh, you know, change your name, Sarah's name, change your name, give you a new new um, new name. We, we've seen him come in the form in a physical form as we're reading here. But how does he return to him at this stage when he will have this child? Is he gonna be there at the delivery room, like there by Sarah's side? Sarah, just push, push, you're, you're almost there. Um, yeah, I'm talking from experience from hearing that three times, just push, you're almost there, you're almost there. It's like, man, we've been here for like hours. Um, but yeah, it's like those false promises, like, it's almost there, it's almost over. No, it's not, we just started. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, sorry, Josh is really concerned right now. <laughs> but it, 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 it's it. We're almost there it's almost there um, no but it, it it's obviously not the way that God reveals himself in that he's not going to be there in that form again we've had him speak to him in audible form we've seen him come to him in physical form even as you know as he had just shared this meal but The way that Abraham would know that God was there is by that very powerful miracle of his son's birth. It would be at that moment that something that was impossible, something that they could not ever achieve in their own strength was happening. It happened. It's here. God is here. Because there's no other way that this could happen if God is not here. If God isn't present. The evidence of his presence is in the work of this miracle. The, the promise being fulfilled that he is God and God fulfills his promise. That's how you will know that I am there. I will be there because you will see your son. You will know that it is me. It's God is just so amazing in that. That he uses that. But let's press on. Onwards and get to to what I hope it will. this is the end for sure. But that the laugh of Sarah, where we see in scripture that the very same message that was said to Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna have a kid same time this next year, around this time. And Sarah was behind the door and she overhears that. But these two people have two separate responses to that same message. As we saw, Abraham's faith was strengthened and trusted in that message. And and the difference really is because God had revealed himself to Abraham. He was yet to reveal himself to Sarai or Sarah. But these two people had two different responses to that same message. Abraham it strengthened his faith to Sarah. It was a joke. He was just like, are you serious? She couldn't take it serious. How could I, who am of such an old age, have a baby? You know, with what strength am I going to give birth? You know, you, you begin to rationalize things. I'm worn out, she says. I have no strength. And as for for my husband, he's an old fart. You know, he how is he going to have, how are we going to have a kid? I'm barren, he, he can't conceive, we, we, it's not going to happen, I don't have strength, I'm, I'm going to be 90 when I have this kid, what strength am I going to have to push out this baby? And it's a very logical reasoning, that, that, that makes sense, of course. But pay close attention to the specific words that are used here by her, that share light, I think, uh, to us in terms of how we sometimes approach God in our relationship with Him, in our walk with God. You know, we we hope to be more like Abraham sometimes, and sometimes we do, but other times we, we laugh like Sarah. You know, note with me her words. She says, shall I? shall I her perspective was on herself you know it was reliant or dependent upon her ability to have this child her focus was on herself she was like how am I going to do this I'm worn out it's all about me what 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 could I do how am I going to have this and sometimes we act in that same way when we begin to say start off our conversations with the Lord shall I be a teacher shall I be an elder shall I be a worship leader or a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is that God has called us to be but he but what was it that the Lord had said what was it that the Lord declared to Abraham that she overheard Lord says I will I will And as we mentioned just earlier, the way in which the Lord would make his presence known would be at that moment when she gives birth to Isaac. Why? Because it would be a reminder that it is all of God despite our limitations, our shortcomings or our weaknesses. We will know that it is the Lord when he or what he has promised to us comes to light. That he keeps that promise And so we tend to struggle just as Sarah and we wrestle with our own shall I's, shall I, shall I. When our focus should be on the word of the Lord, when he has said, I will, I will. It wasn't Sarah that was being put on the spot here. It was the Lord putting himself on the spot. I will do this. I will do this. I will put you in that position. I will help you. I will guide you. I will strengthen you. I will do these things. And when he promises these things, his promises never fail us. You know, we see Abraham's faith was in in that revelation of who it was that spoke to him. When he says, where's your wife, Sarah? He knew straight away. You know, it wasn't just some guy. It wasn't just some angel. It was the Lord himself. And so he trusted in the promise given to him because it came from the Lord. He knew who he was. And let us trust in the Lord that even when we are in that middle of that trial or in that, that, you know, that rut where we, we, we're stuck... Just trust that from there, God will squeeze out your praise, you know, that, that praise that He is so worthy of, and, and come to that recognition of His sovereignty, that He leads us through that valley in order to reveal Himself to us more profoundly. Well, one thing is certain, though, that you may find peace, and for certain, in the way that Abraham believed and trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the, I will, And you, if you follow the path of Sarah, just as I have multiple times, it leads you to anxiety, it leads you to stress, it leads you to that place where Sarah is just focusing on herself, where she was just like, shall I, shall I? But with this I finish. Notice God's graciousness towards her. Even as she doubted, even as she was questioning this ability, this promise, He calls her out. I love that. He calls her out on her. He calls her out on her laughing and asks, and, and he doesn't even ask Sarah. He, the scriptures tell us that he asks Abraham. He asks Abraham, hey, hey, Abraham, why did your wife laugh? Keep in mind that that head of the family again, you know, like you, you need to take care of your wives. You're responsible there, like in that sense. You need to be, make sure that you're looking after your wife. So he turns to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, why did your wife laugh? And he asked, the funny thing is that he asked Abraham something that he wasn't even aware of. He was just like, uh, like um, what? <laughs> why, did, why, why did your wife Sarah laugh? And so Sarah has to kind of come in and, and she intervenes and she responds saying, I didn't laugh. I, I, I didn't laugh, Lord. Well, she doesn't say Lord, but she's just, I didn't laugh. And, and he... And he turns around and says, you did laugh. And the reason why she she said that she didn't laugh was because she was afraid. Because just as she had just experienced, just at this moment, the same experience that Abraham had in just a different way. She had just experienced the omniscience of the Lord. Just as Abraham did where he refers to to Sarah his wife now he she says, "Well, why did your wife laugh she She thought she was laughing to herself or maybe her her, her friends that were there, no one was around, no way, no one's going to hear even Abraham did even hear but she you see here that God reveals himself to her, he reveals to her, and it's what, what's so amazing about that is that he he through this I believe that her trust in the Lord was secured. That she realized who it was that was making this promise. That it wasn't some ordinary guy. That it was the Lord himself. And God is so gracious that our faith he grants us. Even when we doubt and question and fear certain things. He comes to us in a rebuke. Just like how he did his disciples. I want to say that to you. The greatest thing that we can ever ask for from the Lord when we're in doubt is that he would come to us in a rebuke, that he would rebuke us. Because we see that in his disciples. When they're on the boat, he comes to them and says, Ye of little faith, do you still not believe? Why are you so afraid? Or again, he says to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? You still do not know me now when we feel that disconnect and doubt creeping out in our hearts, the greatest thing we could ask for or wait for is this rebuke from the Lord. Because that's how you know that you are His children. You get rebuked. You get disciplined. That's how you know that you are uh, an actual child of the Lord. And when you're rebuked and you're, you're, you're kind of shaken, right? You're reminded of his goodness. It's almost like Sarah was shaken so much that her, her doubt was shaken off as well. And so he asks Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Like in that rebuke, like, are you serious? You're laughing? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? To which the believer can only respond with the same answer every time. No. There is nothing too hard for you, O Lord. Because you will, therefore I shall. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and your goodness. Lord, as we reflect upon Sarah and her doubt, Lord, and how you approach, Father God, and deal Lord, with our doubt, our fears, and our concerns, Lord, that you come, Lord God, and rebuke, Lord God. You, you, you shake off that doubt, you shake off that fear, you shake off that confusion, and you reveal yourself to us as the omniscient one, the one who knows everything, who is in control of everything, who has the power to bring life from dead wounds, Lord God. Father, I, I thank you so much for that, Lord God, that you do that for us, Lord God. And as we think upon that, Lord God, as we think upon the response of Sarah, help us, Lord, not to focus on, on our own uh, capabilities, on the shall I's, Lord God, but rather focus on the your words, the I wills, Lord God, that you will do something, that you have promised, that you have declared it, and so it must come. To light, Lord God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we, we would come to know you in that way, Lord God, in that profound way. Father, bless us, Lord God, as, as, um, as timely as, as this message is, Lord God, as some of us here, Lord God, including myself, are taking on new roles, Lord God, that quite frankly might scare us. But Father, it's not about shall I, it's about you will. You will work through us, Lord God. You will bring glory to your name. You will establish your name in this church, Lord God. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord God, that you bless, Lord God, your congregation, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.